Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew chapter 1. And we'll start reading at verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father God, we are so thankful for this passage. For your word that tells us the history of our Savior. And as we think about uh, his name, uh, this name this morning, I pray that you'd speak to us. Lord, fill me with your spirit. These, these topics, these thoughts, these truths are too deep uh, for me to feel adequate to even come close, to even touch them. And so help, I pray. Uh, fill me with your spirit and speak through me. And give us all ears to hear today. Teach us from your word changes by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We will, Lord willing, be in this passage both today and next Lord's Day because of the four of Christ's names that we are examining during the four Sundays of Advent, two of them are in this passage. Last week we looked at the first one, which was in John chapter 1, and that was the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the Word. Here in this passage we see two names, Emmanuel and Jesus. We're going to look at the name Emmanuel today and the name Jesus next week. And then finally, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we will look at what's really not a name, but a title, and that is the title, Lord. But as I say, two of the ones we want to look at are in this passage. So, Lord willing, uh, if we're not in heaven yet by next week, we'll be looking at the second one, Jesus, next week. Our concentration this morning is on Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Charles, Charles Wesley wrote about it, and we actually sang the hymn this morning, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. I don't recall if we sang this particular verse, though, this morning. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold Him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the Herald Angels saying, Emmanuel. How convenient that the Holy Spirit saw fit to define us, define the word for us there too. Don't you think that's helpful? He translated it for us so we know exactly what it means. We have a perfect understanding of the significance of Emmanuel. It is translated God with us. Three simple words and yet huge in import. God with us. How many of you have ever... Have ever I can't talk this morning. How many of you have ever heard the shortest story that was ever written in the English language? The shortest, complete story written in the English language. At least what most people would say 
It was supposedly written by Ernest Hemingway, and it's only six words long. Anybody ever heard the story? For sale, baby shoes never worn. Tells a story, doesn't it? It's complete. Everything you need to know is right there. It contains the elements of death, of loss, of brokenness, a longing for peace, and entire history is right there for sale. Baby shoes never worn. But our text is only three words long. God with us. And in those simple three words, I think we find the entirety of the gospel message. I think we find just about everything you ever need to know about what we're celebrating during Advent, during Christmas. God with us. Emmanuel. Well, as we think about that this morning, there are four considerations that come to mind I want to share with you. We won't be long today, but let's just think about four different ways we could look at that. Uh, the first would be this. He, he was with us in the beginning. He was with us in the beginning. If we were to go back to Genesis, and Brother Carl mentioned Genesis this morning in his Sunday school lesson. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. He was with us in the beginning. You know, God created all that is. Whether you believe that or not, it's true. God created all that is. We read that in the first two chapters of Genesis. And one thing that becomes clear as we study that, as we think through the fact that God created all that is, is, is we understand His reasoning and, and His purpose in doing so. His purpose in doing so was basically relationship. Relationship. Relationship with each other. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 8. He made us to have a relationship with one another. And He made us to have a relationship with Him. With him. I see that in Genesis 3 and in verse number 8, the verse we just read, don't you? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What must it have been like to have been there in paradise, in Eden, in the garden, and God was right there with them in the garden? He was with them in the beginning. Let your mind drift back to the perfection that was that original creation, his initial intent for mankind. Let your mind's eye see the beauty of Eden and the peace in a world where God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. That's how he described it. Very good. There was no loneliness there. There was no need. There was no want, no sorrow or sadness, no hunger or thirst. There was no poverty. There was no leanness. There was no sickness or pain. Nothing out of place. Nothing broken, nothing bent, marred, evil, bad, nothing except that which was good. Very good. There was perfect relationship between Adam and Eve, and there was perfect relationship between God and His created because God was with them. And so He was with us in the beginning. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. With us in the beginning. Fast forward from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, and we find number two that he will be with us in the end. Again, Brother Carl spoke on Revelation this morning. And if we go to Revelation, chapter 22, 
Let me just read you a few verses here. You'll see he will be with us again. In the end, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. He will be with us again in the end. Recently, I have been thinking... For some reason, thoughts come to my mind that uh, just kind of stick with me for a while, and I mull them over a bit. And I've been thinking about this particular thought. Uh, and that is the wonderful way in which the Bible sums everything up for us. Uh, it, it doesn't leave un- unanswered questions for us. Uh, I don't know, if, if you read Scripture, and, and I encourage you to do that, obviously, I encourage you to read the entirety of the Bible. If you read it, you're going to find that there are all kinds of questions that may come up early on as you're reading, but by the time you get to the end, they've been, they've been answered. They've been explained. The Bible doesn't leave us hanging, wondering what the answers are to things. There was a TV series some years ago simply entitled Lost. Anybody remember that particular series? It was a strange program with a lot of fantastic and supernatural weirdness in it. Uh, The basic premise was anything but fantastic and supernatural. It was just simply about uh, a group of people who suffered a plane crash and were marooned on an island or some such place. Well, I became intrigued by this show. I started watching this show and I became intrigued by it because I was in a Bible bookstore one day and I saw this book on the shelf that was describing the biblical implications behind loss. And the gospel story that was in Lost. And I thought, what? This cannot be. And so I started watching the program looking for this. And then, of course, I got sucked in. And I I became addicted to the show. And I sat there and watched the dumb thing. Well, you know, as it progressed, that show became increasingly bizarre. I don't know if any of you watched that nonsense or not. If you didn't, don't. Uh, there was weirdness in there, things like black smoke monsters, which just would appear out of nowhere. And, And what in the world is the black smoke monster? It was never explained. But all the time you're watching the show, there is this hope. There's this thought. One of these days, they're going to tie all these ridiculous loose ends together. And we're going to get down to the end, and it's going to make some sense. And so you keep watching until the final day came. And with great anticipation, uh, all over the world, people were watching the final episode of Lost. And it was the most ridiculous ending that any show has ever had and answered nothing. I still want to know what the black smoke monster was or some of the other weirdness that was there. Well, you know, the Bible does no such thing. The issues raised early on are dealt with later on. The relationship that was so beautiful in Eden and then was so marred by sin is once again seen as beautiful in in the New Jerusalem, restored by the Savior. That loose end is tied up and we see the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face. And when we come to the end of the book... We see that He is once again with us. God with us. And so, He is with us in the beginning. He is with us in the end. But between those two bookends, between Eden and heaven, between Eden and the New Jerusalem, there's an awful lot that takes place. And that brings me to my third point, which is this. When we broke the relationship, 
He took the initiative and came to be with us again. When we broke the relationship, He took the initiative and came to be with us again. In Eden, God walked with them. God was with them. In the New Jerusalem, in heaven, God will be with us. The Lamb will be the light. But between them, between Eden and heaven, mankind broke that relationship. It's not necessary to spend a whole lot of time on that. We all know the story, but it does bear understanding. God was with us in Eden, was He not? Until that relationship was marred and broken. It wasn't broken by God. It was broken by us. Adam, Eve, our first parents, turned their back on the perfection of the relationship that they enjoyed. They violated the covenant with the God who walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. The God who was with them. They disobeyed His command. They were unfaithful to Him. And that with us relationship was broken. Sin had now entered the picture. And when sin entered the picture, so too did death. Paul said to the Romans in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. When Adam sinned, he brought sin upon all of us. He brought the results of sin upon all of his descendants. He brought the tendency to sin. He brought the inevitability of sin to each of us. The glaring and horrifying truth that we see trumpeted from all the chapters between Eden and heaven is that now... Apart from Christ, we are all lost as sinners. And we cannot help but sin. And because we are so enslaved to the sin that breaks our relationship with God, we are without hope. We cannot be with Him. And He cannot be with us. Because of that, we find ourselves in verses like Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Like Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Like Ezekiel chapter 18, the soul who sins shall die. Ah, oh, but God took the initiative. God took the initiative. He loved us too much to relieve that relationship broken. And he was unwilling to allow it to remain in such a state. And he fixed it. And you know what that fix was? That fix was Emmanuel. God. With us. Emmanuel. We spoke of it in last week's sermon as well. This incarnation, this Christ coming in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we will, if God allows, if we're not in heaven by next week, speak of it also next week when we consider another name. She will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That little baby, amazing, was the fix for it all. That little baby. Emmanuel, God with us. Don't you find it amazing? God was in that baby. That little baby lying in a manger was God. Come to be with us again, providing a way for us to be with Him forever. God who became man, that He might live as our example and die as our Savior. He became man, that He might solve the problem of our sin and save us from it. And so when we broke the relationship, He took the initiative and came to be with us again. Finally, number four. Number four. For the Christian, he is with us not only forever, but now. For the Christian, he is with us not only forever, but now. You know, it's important to believe and to understand that one does not become a Christian by simply seeing and believing in that baby that came at Christmas. That's not enough. It's not enough to believe in the manger. You have to believe in the cross as well. 
It's not enough to believe what the Bible teaches us about Christmas. You've got to believe Good Friday and Easter as well. You see, the baby came to die for our sins. Trust him and be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. Paul put it like this. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is, the gospel. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by a whole multitude of people. Believe that. Believe that in its totality. Believe all of it, for that's what one must believe in order to become a Christian. Anything less is insufficient. And so I would ask this morning, have you so believed? Have you so believed? And having believed, have you repented of your sin and asked Him to save you? And have you called upon the name of the Lord and been saved? You see, those are the steps that the Bible says are necessary in order for one to become a Christian. Uh, My aunt had a sale recently, just this past week. Well, my aunt's family had a sale. It was a state sale for her. And I was there for a couple of hours one day, and I was talking to one of the people that walked through. Somehow the conversation turned to church, and this person proceeded to tell me their version of gospel. Uh, They just had made one up. They just said, well, here's what I think, and proceeded to tell me what they believed which was not based on Scripture at all. It was just their own idea. And that's what so many people do today. We don't get to define it. We don't get to make it up. If you think you're going to make something up and it's somehow going to please God, you're sadly mistaken. If you want to become a Christian, you need to go where it's defined and do what it says. And that's the things that we said. So if you can answer yes to those questions, and only if you can answer yes to those questions, then you're a Christian. And you partake in the benefits of Emmanuel, which is God with us. If you are a Christian, and only if you are a Christian, here's the wonderful truth you can lay claim to at Christmas time. He's with us not only from the beginning and not only someday in the end, but he's with us now. Now, in every moment of our life. Paul said, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I've always loved that verse. It's a wonderful promise. If God is for us, who can be against us? And as I was preparing this message, I was thinking, and how much more true is it if God is with us? How wonderful that is. Because he is. He is with us. Paul said in 2 Timothy, he said, At my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So that the message might be preached fully through me and all the Gentiles might hear. Every man, every person forsook him, but not God. God is with us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a promise for the Christian. The psalmist said, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And matter of fact, it wasn't enough to say it once. He said it again further down in the psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. That's Emmanuel. That's Emmanuel. For the Christian, he is with us not only forever, but now. And so I wonder this morning what you might be going through, or you might need Emmanuel. Because if you're a Christian, you have the assurances that Emmanuel is right there with you. God is with you through the whole thing. Maybe you're wondering. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're going through a time of life when you're just, you're just thinking, what in the world is God doing? What is he doing? Whenever I think about a situation like that, I cannot help but my mind goes back to the story in Luke of of the Emmaus Road disciples. 
You remember the story. We, we won't turn there for sake of time this morning. But there's two disciples. Jesus has died on the cross and he is resurrected from the grave. And everybody's confused. And these two disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus and they're talking amongst themselves. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears beside them on the road. And he starts talking with them. They don't know he's Jesus. Their eyes are held so that they cannot see him or recognize him. And they begin to talk about how confused they are. And it's, it, to me, it's one of the funnier stories in the Bible, because here they are talking about how confused they are, and he is right there with them the whole time. It's a picture, is it not? When we're going through times, we don't understand what God is doing. We're wondering. He's with us. He's with us. Emmanuel. Maybe sorrowing, maybe grief-stricken, maybe drowning in tears. He's with us in our sorrow. We've talked so much lately about Lazarus' tomb and how Jesus was right there with them, weeping alongside them, maybe struggling with poverty or need or leanness of finances. He is with us at all times, even in our extremity. I think of the picture of the, of the widow in the temple. Remember the widow in the temple? She came into the temple. She no doubt thought she was all by herself. She walked up there and she placed her offering in the temple. And where was Jesus? He was right there with her, watching the whole time. He is with us no matter what we're going through. And He will be with us right up until our last breath on this earth. The rich man died and went to hell. Lazarus was carried by the angels instantly into Abraham's bosom, which is another euphemism for paradise where the Lord is. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. He is with us. I don't think I can say it any better than our brother Charles Spurgeon said in one of his sermons on this. And so let me just read a little bit of what he had to say. He said, being with us in our nature, God was with us in all our life's pilgrimage. Scarcely can you find a halting place in the march of life at which Jesus has not paused, or a weary league which he has not traversed. From the gate of entrance even to the door which closes life's way, the footprints of Jesus may be traced. Were you in the cradle? He was there. Were you a child under parental authority? Christ was also a boy in the home at Nazareth. Have you entered upon life's battle? Your Lord and Master did the same. And though he lived not to old age, Yet through incessant toil and suffering, he bore the marred visage which attends a battered old age. Are you alone? So was he. In the wilderness, on the mountainside, in the garden's gloom. Do you mix in public society? So did he. Labor in the thickest crowds. Where can you find yourself? On the hilltop, in the valley, on the land, or on the sea, in the daylight, or in darkness? Where, I say, can you be without discovering that Jesus has been there before you? On what stormy seas have you been tossed? which have not also roared around his boat. Never a glen of adversity so dark, so deep, apparently so pathless, but what in stooping down you may discover the footprints of the crucified one. In the fires and in the rivers, in the cold night and under the burning sun, he cries, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am both your companion and your God. Is there a more beautiful truth than this? Is there a greater name for our Savior than Emmanuel? God with us. The poet said, Emmanuel, we sing thy praise. Thou Prince of life, thou fount of grace. With all thy saints, thee, Lord, we bring praise, honor, thanks to thee we sing. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with the child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us.